The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The prologue to John's Gospel, which we just heard, is admittedly mind-boggling. It is, at the same time, high poetry and deep theology. As such, it poses a challenge to anyone who would seek to understand it, including preachers, especially preachers. And if, after study and contemplation on this text, a preacher does receive some inspiration and insight into its meaning, there arises the additional challenge of how to elucidate and communicate such spiritual insight to the preacher's hearers. I've been helped immensely in this task by the wisdom and insights of Bible scholar and storyteller John Shea, whose interpretation of this prologue makes more sense to me than any of the other interpretations I have ever read. And so, what I share with you today comes mostly from Dr. Shea's commentary on today's gospel. You have heard me share some of these insights before, but since I have yet to find any better ones, I will share them again with you today. I think we can all benefit from pondering them again. When the church uses John's gospel on Christmas Day, writes John Shea, it is inevitably compared to the Christmas stories of Luke and Matthew with Mary, Joseph, the child, angels, shepherds, sheep, mangers, and wise men. The comparison is not favorable to John. 
His meditation seems abstract, difficult to follow, and imprecise in what it is trying to say. We are more at home with stories, like we heard last night, than expressions of mystical consciousness, like we hear this morning. But as I pointed out in my sermon last night, we would be misguided if we thought the Christmas stories of shepherds and angels and wise men were no more than what they seem on the surface. John Shea asserts that those Christmas stories from Luke and Matthew are no less deep and mystical than John's poetry in today's gospel. They ask from us far more pondering than we normally afford them. If we hope to understand any of the biblical texts, whether last night's story of shepherds and angels or this morning's soaring, mind-stretching poetry, we must be willing to spend time with them and let them shape us. Dr. Shea writes, if we are to honor these texts, there's no avoiding personal involvement. Texts like these, whether from Matthew, Luke, or John, are after our souls. All of the Christmas texts, stories and poetry alike, are after our souls. In last night's story from Luke, when the shepherds find Mary, Joseph, and the baby in the manger, they tell about their encounter with the angel and the heavenly host. Luke informs us that all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But there's a danger in this amazement, writes Dr. Shea. Amazement is a first, even necessary step, but one must go beyond it. In the Gospel of Mark, when the women come to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus and find the body missing, the young man in white explicitly tells them, do not be amazed. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus is trying to explain the ways of the Spirit to Nicodemus, he tells him, do not be amazed. Yes, amazement is necessary. It opens us up to the possibility that there is something or someone much bigger than our separate selves and our accustomed mindset and perspective. But if we stop with amazement, if we allow it to freeze us in a moment in time, then amazement can actually block our deeper spiritual development. In Luke's Christmas story, when the shepherds tell of the appearance of the angel and the heavenly host singing glory to God in the highest, all who hear the tale are amazed except Mary. She moves beyond amazement. Luke tells us that Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. Similarly, later in Luke's gospel, 
in the episode of the 12-year-old Jesus remaining in Jerusalem and his parents returning to find him teaching in the temple, we are told that all who heard Jesus were amazed. But Mary, once again, kept all these things in her heart. She models the pondering heart that will be the path of all who follow Jesus. And it is precisely this pondering heart, this reflective heart, this contemplative heart, which the gospel writer John calls forth in today's gospel reading. The church's symbol for the gospel writer John is the eagle. And as Dr. Shea points out, the eagle's version of the Christmas gospel views the birth the birth of Jesus from 10,000 feet up. The soaring poetry of these opening verses of John's gospel offers us new vistas and perspectives from which to see and understand the meaning of Jesus' birth, both historically and spiritually. Today's gospel reading calls us to follow Mary's example of harboring within us a pondering heart. The awe and amazement of Christmas Eve are wonderful and necessary, but eventually the angels recede into the heavens and we are left to ponder these things in our own hearts. It is the vital path of discipleship, this heart reflection, and we avoid it at the risk of blocking the process of our own spiritual growth and transformation. John Shea, John Shea says that he often imagines the season of Christmas as a house. The house of Christmas is a completely round structure, he writes with three rooms, each circling the entire building. The outer circle is the room of culture. In this room are all the societal expressions of Christmas, shopping, gift giving, TV specials, choral ensembles, office parties, the Santa Claus stories and its endless variations family gatherings, decorations, evergreen trees, sending out Christmas cards with pictures of children and family updates, etc. The middle circle in the room is the room of the church. In this room are all the church activities, from liturgies to music to plays that are meant to honor the birthday of Jesus and celebrate the good news. The inner circle is the mystical room. In this room, the birth of Christ happens in the soul. And all the religious language of Christmas is used in unconventional ways with very different meanings. Unquote. My friends, I love that image of the Christmas season as a three-roomed house, the three rooms being concentric circles. 
First, that image doesn't exclude any part of our Christmas observances. It values them all, for they are all part of the same house. But it also points out the danger that we can easily stay in one room or two and never enter that inner room where the birth of Christ happens in the soul. That house image is a helpful corrective, keeping us from getting stuck in either society's Christmas or the church's Christmas, as wonderful as they both can be. Today's gospel reading encourages us to enter that inmost room of the Christmas house and there to ponder the meaning of the season in our hearts after the example of Mary. There we can reflect on the message of today's gospel text. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Here's how John Shea interprets that single verse. In the light of John's entire gospel, flesh refers to human mortality, the fact that all humans are destined for death. The good news is that the eternal word has joined us in this mortal destiny. This is the word's glory, the son's revelation of the father's self-giving love. The fullness of grace is a love that accompanies humans in their perpetual perishing and does not abandon them. This fullness of grace brings the truth out of hiding, allows the light to shine in the darkness. And what is supremely important, we saw this glory. Therefore, the more we can allow this revelation to shape us, the more our lives will embody its truth. The word is the free, unconditional giving of divine life into created reality. On the human level, this requires an openness to receive. It is just such openness, such self-emptying, that we have been cultivating during our weeks of Advent preparation when we manage to accept, to receive the life that the word offers, even to a minimal degree, we realize that spirit is inexhaustible. We are eating and drinking from the plenitude of God and suddenly the fear of scarcity that so often dominates our awareness is relieved to some degree. With every act of receiving, we realize we are drawing from a fullness that does not diminish. There is always more, grace upon grace. Grace is not only the free flow of love, it is the free flow of infinite love.
unquote. The free flow of intimate love. This is what we discover as the word is made flesh within the innermost room of our lives. And if we can receive on the inside what God is so willing to give, we can then transmit it to the outside. For the word made flesh within us has the power in turn to give infinite love to those whose lives we touch each day. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. In other words, my friends, the child wrapped in swaddling cloths in the, in the inner room of the house of Christmas will be you. That child will be you.